Our special guest really doesn't need a ton of introduction. Um, most of you may know that Eitan Shishkov, um, whom we used to know as Andrew, um, has lived and ministered in Israel. My goodness, how many years? Hmm? More than 20 years. Uh, leading congregation Ohalera Chamim in the Haifa area. And then over a period of time, God just sprinkled all kinds of grace and favor on his ministry. And Ohalera Chamim became, uh, f went from being a congregation to being a network of five, five congregations and um, just a ministry that has been very dynamic, very uh, powerful, effective in touching people's lives, uh, mercy as far as giving people, um, providing needs, very practical, proclaiming the word of, of the good news of Yeshua. And uh, we also have been supporting um, Ohalera Hamim and Eitan and Connie for the last 10 years or so, something like that. In any event, we're delighted uh, to have Eitan come and share the Word of God with us, and we'll be taking um, a love offering for their ministry later on. Eitan, would you please come? And would you let me pray, please? Of course. Let's bow for a word of prayer. We bless you, Lord for raising up this choice vessel of yours. Thank you, Lord God, for the amazing things you have done in him and through him. We ask, Lord God, that you would release the anointing of your Ruach, Lord God, that what he has to say will not be merely his words, but that it would be your word. And we pray that you would anoint our ears and gives us, give us Soft hearts, Lord God, to hear, receive your word, and put it into practice by faith, Lord God, that we may, may grow and bear fruit. Thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity. Speak to us, Lord God, we ask in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. What a special day to be here. Um, very touched already by all that's going on and uh, also want to encourage the congregation. I know that there are a lot of visitors here today, but even so, uh, from the last time that I've been here, there's a solid sense of, uh, of moving forward uh, qualitatively, numerically, and uh, just receive it from, uh, from a member of the family coming from afar. Uh, there's just... There's a lot to be gained. Uh, I think that a lot of you know this already, but it bears repeating uh, for some of you uh, who don't know me as well. Uh, but uh, Chaim's father, Eliezer, played such a key role uh, in our lives to introduce us to the meaning of being Jewish and following Yeshua that uh, the name Mishpachat Urbach uh, will always uh, have a treasured place uh, in our lives, in our family, in our destiny. I 
uh, really think that it's fair to say that I would not have gotten to Israel uh, had it not been for uh, Eliezer and the Urbach family's investment in our lives uh, in the United States. So uh, Chaim is uh, much as a little brother to me. I feel that I'm here as part of the family, not as a guest speaker. Uh, and Nachama as well, who now uh, lives uh, a great part of the year in Israel uh, with uh, El Hanan. So uh, this is the, the flavor of being here. And um, to repeat what you already know, uh, I believe strongly that it's lasting relationships that are the highway of the kingdom of God. And uh, to be here and to see uh, incredibly precious faces and to uh, participate in a service like this, uh, including those that uh, are visiting because of the friendship, it's just, uh, it, it really does something to my heart and makes it not altogether easy to stand up here uh, because there's a lot of emotion going on. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. The 20 years that uh, Chaim referred to uh, have given us a good opportunity to develop relationships. It takes time, doesn't it, uh, to build trust. It takes time to, uh, to see the hand of God moving uh, because uh, foundations are, are things that you don't see, uh, but they're essential. And um, in these, these years in Eretz Yisrael, the Lord has um, been giving gradual uh, progress, the congregations that have been planted, uh, the fulfillment of a vision that He gave me uh, back in 1989 of uh, an oasis in the desert, and He pulled back the flaps of the tents of this oasis, and I saw stacks of humanitarian aid, which now exist in our warehouses from which we can distribute help to the poor. Uh, the, the living water of Yeshua that is the center of any oasis, uh, providing salvation and healing for people. Uh, seeing sons and daughters in the faith grow up and, and become mature and then be sent out to lead congregations, to plant and lead congregations. It's uh, it's an amazing process, and uh, you're observing it as well wherever you are, whether you're uh, members of uh, Yeshua Tzion or, or visitors today. But I just commend that to you, and I want to give you one or two snapshots just to, to help you envision what it is that happens over a period of time. Uh, just before I left to come on this trip to the United States, uh, I walked into the Mediterranean Sea hand-in-hand uh, with a young man about 22 years old. This young man, when he was a boy, attended our congregation with his family. Uh, his family had come from the former Soviet Union. In fact, he was born en route to Israel. Uh, that was how serious his parents were about coming uh, to be new immigrants, olim uh, chadashim in Israel, uh, that uh, uh, they, were, they were even willing to come at such a late period in her pregnancy. And uh, as his life unfolded, he became uh, less comfortable coming to the congregation, uh, what unfortunately sometimes happens with young people, and uh, also experienced a social awkwardness. So it wasn't easy uh, to be around people as he got into his teenage years, uh, which is another uh, experience that people sometimes have. And I'll just say parenthetically, uh, to be patient and compassionate and encouraging. Uh, particularly to teenage people who are coming through a, uh, a usually insecure time of life. Uh, don't think, well, uh, they're youth and I'm kind of older and 
They're not, it's not for me to relate to. I've found the opposite. Uh, what I've found is that young people really warm to and respond uh, to respectful interaction uh, with older people and that it makes a young person feel valid and valued. So uh, I really encourage you in that. Uh, just as, a, as an aside, about 14 years ago, uh, I began noticing that the Messianic youth of Israel uh, did not really have much in the way of ministry in Hebrew and uh, with a Jewish identity. There were some good things happening that people were coming from the States offering help in English. Uh, they did not have much of a Jewish background. I appreciated all of that. They had energy. They had anointing. Uh, but there was something missing of an indigeneity. And I realized that in order to change Israeli society, that someone was going to have to invest in these young people in the Hebrew language and with a knowledge of their, their Jewish identity as followers of Yeshua and Israelis. And um, uh, God just uh, wouldn't let me alone. I wound up involved in that. Long story short, we established a ministry that's called Harvest or Katsir, and uh, we now have three camps every year. Uh, the counselors are young adults, some of whom came through our early camps. It's all in Hebrew uh, with the presence of the Spirit of God, uh, opening up the Scriptures, leading small groups, having uh, outdoor adventure times uh, as well as worship. And it's just, it's something that, you know, here I am, you know, gray-bearded, 65, and working with teenagers. So, uh, you know, I just want to say that really you're never too old uh, to interact with young people. It keeps you young, uh, and, it, and it speaks very, very deeply to them of their value. So I'm walking with this young guy into the Mediterranean Sea. How did that happen? I mean, for water immersion. We were just going for a swim. Um, he had continued to drift farther and farther from the Lord, farther and farther from the congregation. Uh, occasionally, I would reach out to him. Others would reach out to him. And at a certain point, uh, I felt impelled to begin meeting with him. So I just began. And when I began meeting with him, he was not even uh, confessing a belief in God, much less Yeshua. A very brilliant young man uh, who wanted to study physics, uh, just brainy, we would say, uh, but, but very quiet and, and really isolated from his peers. I began to meet with him and slowly, steadily, just you know, I'm no brain myself. I was just trying to answer his questions in the simplest ways I could uh, to speak of my own relationship of trust with God and, uh, and, and commend that to him and listen. I did a lot of listening. Well, after a while, his, uh, his mindset changed and uh, he began to ask closer questions to what would it mean to follow Yeshua with all of his heart. And then he received the Messiah, prayed with me and said, yes, I want to take this step. And uh, more time went by, and I said to him, you know, I think we need to move into more of a discipling relationship. Uh, our, our times together are great. Uh, we have a nice time together talking, but I feel that you need a foundation, and I would like to help you get stronger in your faith. He said, okay, uh, I'm in. And uh, at a certain point, we began talking. I didn't initiate the discussion. I think that his family said something to him about being immersed in water and uh, to, to do a, a believer's immersion. And uh, I said, yeah, it's, that's the right thing to do. He said, but I'm not so sure. I don't feel that I'm ready for this totality of commitment. And he had all kinds of questions and objections. Uh, shortening the story, 
after some time, I, I didn't raise the issue anymore, suddenly I got a call about a week and a half before ha- heading for the West, and he surprised me totally by saying, Eitan, I want you to immerse me in water. I'm ready. And I was thrilled with that. So that's what we were doing. Walking into the Mediterranean, I immersed him. The sun was going down, sparkling on the water like innumerable diamonds. I mean, it was an amazing, amazing time. Uh, And in the late spring, uh, the Haifa Bay gets warm enough. It was just, uh, I put him down under the water and brought him back. And there was just such a feeling of exhilaration. I just started splashing around in the water. I I just, I, 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 I love that moment, you know, when somebody comes up. And uh, this young man is Jewish on both sides of his family, has grown up in Israel, knows, uh, knows Hebrew uh, with excellence, also speaks quite a bit of Russian, and isn't a slouch in English. So uh, uh, this, is, this is fruit. It's not a whole bunch of people being immersed. We did that once years ago. It was kind of incredible. I look back on that. I say, wow, how did that happen? I don't know. It was about 35 people in one day. I think they'd been storing it up, and that was in the Kinneret in the Sea of Galilee. But um, to watch God work over a period of time and then, and then see something so solid and so, uh, so rich. Another snapshot uh, is that of the son of American Jewish immigrants who was raised in Israel and the daughter of Russian Jewish immigrants who was also raised in Israel. And in this snapshot, I'm standing together with the two of them under a chuppah. Now, most places I have, to understand, I have to explain what that is, but here I don't. I'm standing with them under the chuppah, and I'm conducting their wedding ceremony. These are two young people committed to serving God in Israel. Uh, the young man's family have been pioneers uh, in an agricultural effort. Uh, the young woman's family, uh, some of her ancestors in Russia, suffered for their faith. And uh, there's just uh, a richness in any... Uh, any godly wedding, but to see the two, uh, two of the largest um, uh, exiled communities come together in, under one chuppah uh, with the whole family of God present, it was just an amazing reward. So to see people grow up and then find partners uh, and commit themselves to walking together for a lifetime, uh, there's really nothing quite like it. So I want to encourage you because uh, as Chaim said, you have been supporting us. You've been praying for us. Uh, you've been contributing financially. And uh, so uh, it's important for you to share in the celebration and, uh, and to be, for us to be able to thank God together for what He's done. It's not a quick fix. It doesn't happen rapidly. And I know that you know this, but I'll just repeat it anyway. There is something of a uh, a huge change in history that's happening. I was on a, a radio program yesterday with, uh, with Joy and, and Michael, and, and we were talking about this. You know that our generation, generation of, of Connie, myself, uh, Chaim, Joy, uh, Peter, we are, Lee, we are the first generation since probably the second century to walk with Yeshua, as His disciples, as fully Jewish, living as Jews openly, and I would add with the encouragement of the body of Messiah, with courses starting in seminaries, I mean, kolakavod, that is really awesome. 
that David had the opportunity to study here and that you are here to witness this. Uh, these are historic times. Uh, but change, social change, and we're talking also about national change, the change from uh, a, an, an 18 or 1900-year blockage of saying Yeshua is not for us on the Jewish side and on the Christian side of saying Jewishness is not for us. This is, it's a, it's a huge transformation. And sometimes we take it for granted. We're involved in, you know, setting up for services and printing bulletins and making sure the songs are, everybody's together and all of these things. But back off for a moment and think about it. This is historic. The fact that you are worshiping here in this room, reading from the Torah in, in New Covenant faith. I mean, and, and for Israel to change as a nation uh, is, is even a weightier shift. So thank you for being a part of that shift. Thank you for uh, being uh, undergirding us, our family. Those of you that know us uh, know that we left for Israel in 1992 with our then three children, David, Hannah, Avi was just a little four-year-old. Uh, David and Hannah were college age. David had finished a degree at Univ- University of Maryland. Um, Lee was one of his teachers back at MCCA. And uh, that Connie was pregnant six months uh, along with Sigal. Uh, and now uh, of those four, two are married and have blessed us with a total of nine grandchildren, you know. But all of this takes time, and uh, so I I want you to feel rewarded today. Um, I'm enthused also uh, about a new book uh, that the Lord enabled me to write. This book uh, is based on um, the discovery that has come to me over these decades of traveling in the nations and saying, Lord, there must be something else that's going on here besides collecting donations and taking them back to Israel. And there's a lot more going on. What's going on is that God has called us to a partnership at the end of the age for the redemption of Israel and for revival in the church. And uh, this is something that uh, I believe with all of my heart. I feel that uh, um, there's a lot of, we would say in Yiddish, mishigas, shtuyot, bi'ivrit, craziness, excess, confusion uh, over the subject of Gentiles and Jewishness. I've tried to answer some of the questions. It's a thin book. I didn't try to answer all the questions. Um, but it's available today. And uh, the, the title came from uh, the, the mouth of uh, a precious woman from Canada who had been touring Israel with us every 18 months. We do that. If you ever uh, think of coming to Israel and you haven't, uh, pray about that. But she came up after a presentation in which we were talking about this resurrection, restoration, the thing that I just mentioned about it being historic. And her earnest question was, but what about us? What about the Gentile believers? Where, where do we fit in? Don't we get a piece of this? You know, it was, there was a, this kind of plaintive cry of, but, but we want to participate. There's something amazing happening here. Isn't there a, isn't there a part for us? And there's not just a part, but there's, there's an essential role that God has called all of Yeshua's disciples no matter what their background is, uh, to play together. And the Jewish believers won't achieve what God has called us to do without our Gentile brethren. And the Gentile believers will not see the coming of Messiah 
without joining together with us. So it's, uh, it's quite, I mean, God has fixed a fix to fix the fix, and uh, he's fixing us. Amen? All right. Well, I'd like to shift into a message, uh, and um, uh, it's full in my heart, and I'll do my best to condense because I know that we've had a full time already. But I really believe that the Lord wants to encourage us today about a message that I'll call the home stretch. The home stretch. You know that that's uh, a term that's used for the end of a horse race or of, a, of uh, any kind of a foot race. The home stretch is the last section. It's that section leading up to the finish line, leading up to the tape uh, that the runner breaks through. And I believe that that's what we're entering or have entered. This is the home stretch. We're, we're coming down the home stretch, folks. And uh, that calls for some um, concentrated awareness, and it calls for uh, a new uh, alertness. And this is exactly uh, what I want to talk about today. And I would like to give three qualities. A person could give a whole course in the seminary about this subject, and I'm, I'm sure there are courses um, at your seminary. Um, in practical terms, I see three things uh, that are essential for the home stretch. One is honesty. Another is healing. And another one is a heart, a whole heart. And uh, we know that uh, Kepha, Peter, said, uh, he asked this question, what kind of people should we be in set-apartness and virtue uh, as we're looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? This is, this is a relevant question for every one of us. What kind of person shall I be? How, how should I order my life? What are my priorities? What do I need to concentrate on? What do I need to focus on? Maybe there's some things I need to leave out. <laughs> Maybe there's some extra stuff in my life uh, that isn't lending itself to this goal. And then Yohanan, uh, John, said in his, one of his letters, everyone who has the hope of his coming will purify himself as he is pure. Everyone who has the hope of his coming. You see, one of the, uh, uh, one of the, uh, the Gashim, emphasis emphases in the new covenant is the coming of the Lord. There's this expectation uh, that the Spirit of God wants us to live with that expectation. It's not a pie-in-the-sky thing. It's not uh, some sort of an abstract, uh, you know, end times, hey, did you see the recent movie Armageddon or whatever the latest one is. It seems like, you know, lots of the movies nowadays are taking this up as the theme, you know. There's something stirring. It's interesting sometimes if you watch the pattern uh, in, in secular entertainment, you can sometimes get a key uh, to what's activating people. So um, maybe this is a clue for some outreach messages, uh, David and Chaim. But anyway, um, I see that this is something so profound and so prevalent that it's to influence uh, our, our approach to God, our, our process with the Lord. And uh, I want to uh, introduce the, the message a little bit further with a scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. Usually I like to repeat references several times, but for the sake of time, I may only repeat it once, maximum twice. So thanks for sticking with me, and you don't have to look all of them up. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, Shaul, Paul says, and the time of my departure is at hand. He was getting close to the end. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Now, we're not going to base the message on these things, but just listen to him again. 
he was not coming to the end as if he was about to uh, see the coming of the Lord and the, the reign of Yeshua restored on earth because it was the first century. But, but there is a parallel with our coming to the finish line. I have fought the good fight. At the end, there's going to be a need for some aggressiveness, assertiveness against the enemy. There is a battle that's heating up. I have finished the race. It's involved in endurance and stamina, and I have kept the faith. That closeness with God, that, that intimacy that, that causes faith to be born in us, not just once, uh, but on a daily basis. I want, I want what this guy is talking about. And then he, he ends it up by saying this, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. What day is he talking about? The coming of the Lord. On that day, and not to me only, but also to all who are worshiping at Congregation Yeshua Zion today, to all who have loved his appearing. You see this, this, re, this repetition. God is a good teacher. Yeah? He teaches through repetition. Am I right, Joy? We talked about that last night. You know? Here's a career teacher. And uh, by the way, you may have done this already, but I want to take the time to congratulate Joy on her 37 years of teaching career, which she just completed. I didn't perform their wedding ceremony. Abba did that, but I was the photographer. And I remember that day, very pre-digital, I was using a, I was using a telephoto lens handheld with as slow film as I could pull off because there was no flash happening. That was an amazing, I, I have pictures of that. To, Connie actually did a, a print of, you guys have that, don't you? If you don't, we have to get it to you. Yes, of course. All right. So let's go into the first characteristic uh, that I'm suggesting uh, is part of this end time um, mindset, this end time reality. It's more than a mindset. It's a, it's a character set. It's a way of being. Uh, and I'm calling that honesty. You know, all of us as believers, and I'm seeing this more and more as I, as I, as I visit. I think it's more in the West, unfortunately, and the East is newer uh, to the good news. And so there's, uh, I think, a, a higher level uh, of, of uh, integrity and honesty and, and transparency. But in the West, there can tend to be uh, a focus on image yeah, and presentation. So look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and tell me if you think this guy is hung up on image and presentation or whether he's being honest. Again, this is Shaul the Shaliach, the Apostle Paul. First, uh, 2 Corinthians, Slicha, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. In other words, we want you to know. He's stating it in the negative. We do not want you to be ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia that we were burdened beyond measure above strength, above his strength, so that we despaired even of life. This is the great apostle. This is Paul. This is the writer of so, so much of the new covenant. This is the, the guy that planted congregations and raised up other apostles. And we think of him as this amazing giant. He was a rabbi. He probably knew huge portions of Scripture by heart. He was depressed. He faced... He faced obstacles that caused him to despair of life. He was burdened beyond measure, beyond his strength. Yes, that's what he wrote. Why did he write it? I don't think he just wrote it in his journal to hide it away. 
I have stuff written in my journals. I'm afraid to even read it, you know, <laughs> you know, and I, and, you know, uh, you know, whenever I pass and other people start pawing around in my stuff, you know, chaval, I mean, I, I really, you know, maybe I need to sanitize those journals before somebody gets a hold of them. This is not just a journal. It is a journal, but it's a journal that the Holy Spirit allowed us to have almost 2,000 years later. Now, what's his conclusion? Yes, we have this sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead. This is the definition of God. I love it because this is repeated in the Amidah in our, in our uh, central prayer of the prayer book so many times. And Paul is using it. And uh, it, 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 it's, it's touching to know that. But he is giving us a formula. He's saying when the going gets rough and you feel like giving up and you feel like it's not happening and you're not making the grade, it's not so that you can trust in yourself, but so that at that moment you can turn to God, you know. And you can say, oh God, or oy vey, or whatever comes out of your mouth, you know, that's kosher. Anyway, so that's Paul, but Paul's not alone, okay? But Yeshua himself. You can look with me at Luke chapter 22 if you want to follow. I'm starting at verse 39, Luke 22, 39. Coming out, Yeshua went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. What was happening at the Mount of Olives? It's called in other gospels, Gat Shmenim, which literally is the place of crushing olives. It was a place where they had those heavy-duty stones. If you've ever been to Israel or seen the pictures, The olive oil was produced by these incredible stones that were grinding the pulp of the olive so that the oil would drip through and come out to to yield its precious fruit, which in ancient times was not only used for food, uh, but for cosmetics and healing and light. It's an incredible picture of the provision of God. But unless the olives were crushed, no oil. Here's Yeshua being crushed in the place of the crushing of the olives. When he came to the place, verse 40, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed. Here's his prayer. Abba, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. In other words, I don't dig the prospect of being nailed to a cross. This is not, this is not my idea of a picnic. I'm not very interested. Could you please find another way to redeem mankind if there's any other way to do it? Please, I'm asking you. Yeshua, our king, we think of him as being invincible. We think of him as being perfect. Yes, perfect. Invincible, no. If he was invincible, he couldn't have represented us because his vulnerability is our vulnerability. Okay? So he's saying, Father, I'm vulnerable. I'm not, I'm not excited about this prospect. I know where this is headed. Uh, and, 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 and I, you know, please, is there an alternative? And then he says these words, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The words that each one of us need to say. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, Still, I'm adding the word still, but it's understood. He prayed more earnestly. In other words, he got down in our uh, everyday 
street language. He got down. He prayed. He was really, he was going after it with God because he knew what was coming. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. I can't even imagine that. How, how do you get so intense that the pores uh, of your body are, are oozing blood? Not a wound, not an external uh, cut. Something from the inside of intensity. Yeshua himself turned to the Father in honesty and said, something in me doesn't want this. I don't, I'm not sure I can handle it. But you know better than I do. Are you facing things that you're not sure you can handle or you're sure you can't handle them? <laughs> I think almost all of us at some point do, and all the more so as we, as we say yes to God. And usually the people right next to us don't know it. But what I want to suggest to you is that as we're coming down the home stretch, this is not the time to fake it. This is not the time to pretend as if everything is cool. When we come to service and somebody says, Hey, Mashlum Cha, how are you doing? You know, how's it going? You, you put on a smile, right? Ah, kol beseder, it's all right. You know, sababa, I feel good. But inside, I'm aching. Inside, I'm in agony. Inside, I'm suffering. Inside, I feel that I'm, I'm about to give up. Okay? You need to find somebody that you can trust to pray with, to share with. Spill those guts, you know. <laughs> uh, it's not the end, you know. And, and it's time to just trash our pride. Yes, find somebody trustworthy. You don't, you, you don't want to have somebody blabbing about, you know, the deep things that you're struggling with. And, on the other hand, you want to be available for somebody else to come to you and not blab about what they're sharing with you, all right? This is a quality that God is after. Uh, a little bit later, Paul says, uh, I learned that it's not, that our sufficiency is not of ourselves, but of God. I mean, that one thought, <laughs> you know, it's just, whew, yes, that, 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 that boosts me. That, there's, something, there's something solid about that. Now, um, a Jewish prophet in modern times once said this, No reason to get excited. The thief he kindly spoke. There are many here among us who feel that life is but a joke. But you and I, we've been through that. And this is not our fate. Let us not speak falsely now. The hour is getting late. Who can name that prophet? Robert Zimmerman. Roberto Zimmerman. Also known as Bob Dylan. These lines came to me as I was thinking about this subject. Let us not speak falsely now. The hour is getting late. It's time for authenticity. The world is aching for it. The fakery, the, the sleight of hand, the special effects are multiplying horrendously. Meanwhile, people are dying and empty and dry on the inside because nobody's being real with them because they can't find anything that's, that's, that's truly true. And we're... We're walking in the light, so let us not speak falsely now. The hour is getting late. It takes us to the second quality, which is healing. 
while we're looking for and expecting and longing for his returning, he's doing a work in us. And perhaps it's the deepest work that has ever been done in our life because his aim is to bring forth much more fruit. You know that passage from John 15. But what does it take to bring forth much more fruit? Pruning. The Lord is about preparing us for his coming. It doesn't just mean that we get, you know, well, let me wash my clothes so I'll be ready. You know, maybe like our brother, we should wear all white, you know, so that we'll constantly be ready. Yeah? No, it's the inside. It's the inside preparation. And this healing is something that is so important uh, that the Lord keys it to the end. He keys it to our return to Israel. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 15 to 17. Um, there's other, uh, as, as it comes into this portion of Scripture, God is saying things like, your affliction is incurable, your wound is severe. And the, the context Uh, of this passage is the diaspora. It's our time outside of Israel. And finally, he says, why do you cry about your affliction? Your sorrow is incurable because of the multitude of your iniquities. Your sins have increased. I've done these things to you. Therefore, all those who devour you shall be devoured. Your adversaries, everyone will go into captivity. Those who plunder shall be plundered and who prey upon you, I will make a prey. Verse 17 is the key. For I will restore health to you. And heal you of your wounds, says the Lord, because they called you an outcast, saying, this is Zion, no one seeks her. I see her three things. You can go into them in greater depth on another occasion. I see rejection, the deep wound, usually of those we know. I see sins, which is our own role in bringing uh, woundedness and a need for healing upon ourselves. And I see adversaries, uh, the opposition of the enemy. And this passage to me uh, is profound. God is saying, I will heal you. Let me heal you. I see that you have experienced rejection, adversary. You've sinned and brought things into your own life. You've opened up doors uh, for, for deep character problems and suffering. But I will heal you. And the same thing we find in, in uh, Ezekiel 37 in a, a very parallel passage that talks about our return to Israel. You know this passage, some of you by heart. Chapter 37, verse 11. He said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dry. I want you to think of a picture of your life, of somebody else's life that you know, a life that's dry. Our hope is lost. How many do you know that are walking in hopelessness and including ourselves? I will be the first to confess There are times when my hope is gone. I don't have a whole lot of hope or expectation, not for what's going to happen necessarily in my nation, in Israel, but even more for myself. Just There are periods of time. It's not the whole picture, but it's periods of time. We all get discouraged. And we ourselves are cut off. This is a description of, of someone who needs healing. Therefore, since that's the case, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. What greater healing is there than resurrection? Resurrection is an ultimate, uh, uh, it's an ultimate example of healing. It's an ultimate expression of life coming 
in the place of death and in the place of need. Psalm 147, verse 3, says this, 2 and 3, The Lord builds up Jerusalem and gathers together the outcasts of Israel, those who are in exile specifically. He gathers them together, brings them home. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted. Don't you love that? I mean, that to me, that's one of the qualities of Messiah, you know, the Isaiah 61 prophecy, that He heals the brokenhearted. This healing is something that each of us needs, every one of us. Every, in, in each life, no matter how good the life looks, no matter how good the person sounds, no matter how, how much you think, wow, this guy or this gal has done so much, would that I could be like that, everyone needs more healing. I'm not saying that we should all go around with, you know, handkerchiefs continually just, oh, I'm such in such bad shape, I'm desperate, oh, please. Occasionally that's appropriate. Yeah. It's not about a pity party. It's just about honesty and receiving the healing. How can I extend healing unless I'm being healed? I didn't say unless I was completely healed because if we had to be completely healed, none of us would accomplish very much. But being healed, receiving greater freedom, receiving greater power over the sins that so easily beset us. And uh, this healing is a part of, of, of the end times. This is all these con- contextually, everything I've read to you uh, in these last passages was keyed to the end of the age. Healing is a part of what happens down the home stretch. It's not like, okay, whatever happened already, it happened. I'm just going to have to cruise on in the state that I'm in. No, 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 no. I'm encouraging you to go after it, to expect it, to say, God, I, I need you to, do, to be active in this part of my life. Go after it. Don't be passive. This is part of our preparation for His coming. It's part of our being utilized in a greater way. And finally, the heart. I love the, uh, uh, the common Hebrew word in, in modern Hebrew uh, for courage uh, is ometzlev, which literally means strength or force of heart. Okay? And our word courage in English comes from the French. The root is cour, the heart. So to have courage to continue is uh, a condition of heart that God is calling us to. And Isaac, if you will help us with that clip that I uh, found together with you. This is from a movie that some of you have seen in the past. Enjoy. Get up.
That's good, brother. Thank you so much. As many of you know, uh, this man, this movie was based on a real historic uh, life, life of Eric Little, a Scotsman uh, who went on to set world records in the 1924 Olympics and after that became a missionary uh, to Asia from Scotland. Uh, But what you just saw is each one of us. He was knocked down. He was out of the race. He was on the ground. And I love, I love the part where it slows the whole thing down, and he's down on the ground, and he looks up, and he sees the other runners, and, and the distance is growing between him and the other runners. And there's a split moment where he's having to make a decision. Am I going to get up, or will I just stay here because I've already lost the race? And it's obvious he decides to get up. And it is so moving to me because the Scripture says that a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. There's no such thing as a believer, a follower of Yeshua who doesn't fall at some point, who doesn't fail at some point, who doesn't feel inadequate at some point. But the finish line is worth all the effort we can give. That man showed incredible heart by getting up. Anyone can fail, and everyone does. The question is, will we get back up and resume the race? Because if we get back up and resume the race, he who endures to the end will be saved. There's such a reward waiting for us. And, you know, we're, it's easy to be distracted. I get distracted. We all get distracted. We live in an age of multiplying, exponentially multiplying distractions. But God is calling us to fix our eyes on the prize and not back down and not be distracted and not give up. And even when we fall and even when we fall short, to rise up again. Because we know that someone is loving us. Someone is cheering us on. And in fact, there's, a, there's a, a, a way powerful scripture about that, isn't there? You know it. Hebrews 12 at the beginning. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, but our witnesses are not just the people in the stands. Our witnesses are the, the, the wonderful men and women of God who have preceded us. So, Therefore, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Yeshua, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. That's heart. What Eric Little showed on that, that uh, country uh, racetrack, it was long before he got to the Olympics. It was just as he was beginning to show what he had. That was heart. God's calling us to show that kind of heart. In Jeremiah chapter 31, we go back to Jeremiah. I'll just go through these quickly, but each one is valuable. At the beginning of the chapter, God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. That's what what keeps us going. (laughs) That's what propels us. That's what we're looking to. In Hebrews 12, looking unto Yeshua. Why do we look to Yeshua? So that we can be, you know, feel like, oh, he's so wonderful and I'm, so, I'm such a schnook. No, that's, that's not the purpose. The purpose is to be enveloped in his love. 
Some of you know my personal story. I came to believe in Yeshua when he revealed himself to me as he was suffering on the cross. Looking unto Yeshua does something inside of us. Meeting his eyes, you know. When you really meet somebody's eyes, you, you lock. There's something of a, of, a, of a unity that happens. There's a joining. And God wants us to be joined together with him. And then later on in the same chapter, 31, you know the scripture well. It's, it's part of our theme for the Messianic movement. Jeremiah 31, 33 in English. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. The heart. This is, this is the most important organ in our life, in our relationship with God. It's no, it's no accident uh, that the heart is the center of physical life. The blood pumps through it, through the whole body. It's essential. If the heart doesn't work, the person's life is over. Yeah, If our heart is not working with God, our spiritual life is over. So that's why I am exhorting you. Focus on the heart. Solomon said, out of the heart are all the issues of life. Therefore, guard it. Protect it. May we protect our lives in these days. Uh, uh, we don't even have to, to, to read it, but in Ezekiel 36, uh, he talks about exchanging a heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And it's keyed again to the return to Israel, the return to Zion, this time in history. God's saying, this time in history, you're going to need a soft heart. You're, you're going to need to be able to, to, to do something like what Peter did in getting up here and expressing his heart for another brother in such a tender way that we, we're all just carried up in it. You know, we're caught up in it. And wow, how the Lord encouraged me. Because it's not about a perfection of grammar or a, a lack of accent. In Israel, I sound about like you do here, you know. I have a thick accent as much as I try to, dis, to disguise it. I blow the grammar even though I try as hard as I can to remember exactly how to say everything. I function in Hebrew, not in English. And it's a, it's, a, it's a humiliation. But you know what? Somehow God appreciates that. Yeah, Greg and Vani, he appreciates it. So he says, I'm going to give you a heart and you're going to walk in my statutes and in my ways. And in Joel chapter 2, uh, the scripture says, rend your heart and not your garments. Verse 13, if you're keeping track. I see a lot of you are writing down. I appreciate that. In another place, it says that what the sacrifice of God is a broken and a contrite heart. Not broken in the sense of discouraged, broken in the sense of, of malleable, in the sense of soft, in the sense of reachable, touchable. God wants to be able to touch our hearts. And then in 2 Corinthians, it's worth reading this uh, as we conclude. 2 Corinthians, a little bit fa- past where we read and The whole book is really a book of of Paul's heart. It's amazing. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 16. Therefore, do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Who can say amen? (laughs) We've been talking about aging today. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day, no matter what your age. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Again, talking about what's in the future, what's to come. You know, the future looks dim in the world. As I've been traveling, people have asked asked me, what about Israel? What about Syria? What about Iran? What about this? What about that? I'll tell you 
up front, I'm not a very good news hound. I just don't, you know, I don't put a lot of time into keeping track of stuff. If it gets bad enough, eventually I hear about it. You know, <laughs> if it's time to run to the bomb shelter, be sure I'll, I'll hear the siren. But, but what I see is that, that God is saying, wait a minute, I want you guys to see that there is a, there's a weight of glory. There's a light that's, that's coming, that's shining. It's going to shine. And right now you look at the world. I mean, Isaiah saw it already, you know, 2,700 years ago. He said the arafel, the fog, the, uh, will, will begin to descend upon the, on the earth. The darkness will cover the earth. But the Lord will arise upon you. Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So it's the home stretch. We need to keep the finish line in sight. And uh, I'll just repeat these three qualities. In the home stretch, we need honesty because we have these treasures in earthen vessels. We need healing because He was wounded to provide it for us and it enables us to walk in His footsteps. And we need a strong heart. Abba, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for preparing us. Thank you, God, for, for the work internally that you want to do. Father, for helping us to acknowledge honestly where we are. We don't have to pretend. What freedom. Lord, for receiving the healing that we yet need in areas that you're trying to show us. Help us, Lord, not cover those areas up or resent them or get angry about them, which, Lord, you know that I do. But, Father, to say, I need help here. What's going on? What's the root of this? What happened that, that causes this to be a, a trigger point, a flashpoint for me? that I freak out or, or slam my, my fist on the desk when something like this happens. And God, we accept the heart of the lion of the tribe of Judah. That heart beats in us. Would you stand with me, please? I'm not going to ask people to come forward, but I really believe that substantially God has been speaking to all of us, myself included, through this message, and I'm grateful but I, I want to pray, uh, I want for us to pray together. And uh, I have found, I hope you don't uh, feel that this is excessively uh, childish uh, or formulaic, but I find that to say words and mean them uh, has a great deal of authority. Uh, I believe that God talks about that, that there's power in the tongue. So I will pray, think about what I said. I'll give you a moment. And if it's a prayer from your heart, you can say it after me. God, I want to be ready for the coming of the Messiah. Go ahead, out loud, whisper, whatever. I'm asking you to make me ready. Help me to walk in the light. To be an honest person. Thank you that I don't have to fake it. That walking with you is real. Lord, I ask you to heal me. In every place that I am not completely whole. Show me. Talk to me. Give me insight by the Spirit. Sometimes I react in a way I don't understand. Why am I doing this? Why does it bug me so much? Talk to me, Lord. I want to be more like you. 
I present myself for your healing. Touch me today and in the days to come. And then, God, I ask you to strengthen my heart. I bring to you my discouragement. You said not to lose heart, but sometimes I do. Sometimes it's hard to get back up and keep going. But I receive your encouragement, literally the strengthening of my heart. I will live from my heart as my heart is filled with your love. Make me like that guy that was running in the race. That I can get back up and finish the race. Come, Lord Yeshua. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Todarabah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Eitan. This is a very significant moment, and um, we want to remain and be accessible to the Lord. I know we've been going for a while, and we will take up a love offering for tents of mercy in just a bit, but if the Lord, or as the Lord has been speaking to you, would you please respond to him? We have all kinds of things that are on our plate, on our minds. But if this is the moment that the Lord has been tugging on you, then respond to him. <laughs> 